Hello and welcome to Humans of Agape, right back from our summer break. We are Agape Europe, a community of people who make Jesus known so lives are changed and Europe is transformed. We want to bring spiritual hope and help to people from all walks of life. I am your host, my name is Jochen Geck. I work in the Berlin City Hub in Germany, and I'm curious to hear about what God is doing across Europe. So this is what this podcast is all about. I interview people who are on staff with Agape and ask them about what God is doing in their lives and ministries. In today's episode, we're traveling to Birmingham, England to speak with Paul Duncan. We chat about learning new things, change, the loss that that entails, and how good questions help us with discipleship. But without further ado, here's Paul. Hi, Paul. Hey, Jochen. Wie geht's? Sehr gut. Natürlich. Natürlich. Wie geht es dir? Uh, es geht mir gut. Das freut mich. Paul, are we doing the whole thing in German or do you think for our international listeners English would be better? I think we have done all of my German. So uh, if, we, if it's going to be a long podcast, it needs to be, uh, it needs to be in English. My, my language ability is very short in many languages. So, Well, maybe we could get back to the German at the end to say our goodbyes. Tschüss. <laughs> Not there yet. All right, okay. Paul, please introduce yourself a little bit. Tell me what is it you do with Agape and where? Right. So I am part of uh, Agape Europe's area leadership development and HR team. And my specific responsibility is leadership development uh, and coaching. So I dream dreams and try to... Well, I was reminded to look at my position focus because that's one of the things our teams talk about. And uh, I've written down the purpose of my role is to change the world. Why, wow. would you, why would you want to do anything less than changing the world? And I want to change the world through helping leaders flourish and having a greater impact by leaving a lasting legacy through developing other leadership. So that's how I see what I do and that's the lens that I operate uh, with either the individual people I'm coaching or on the leadership development initiatives that I run is, is this going to change the world? Wow. Uh, that sounds beautiful, but can you unpack it a little bit for us? Yeah. The world is changing uh, quicker and uh, quicker. Certainly, you know, I joined, I joined staff in 1985 and maybe there was dial-up internet then. I don't know. But the pace of change has got quicker and quicker and quicker. And uh, people talk today about living in a VUCA world. So VUCA, for those who don't know, stands for uh, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. It just basically means the world is changing so, so fast. And we are like frogs uh, in that water that's boiling. Um, so we, we experience, we don't really experience the pace of change as quickly as we would if we were stood outside watching. So uh, I want to be helping us 
as an organization as leaders to step outside of that water that's boiling us to say wow what's happening and how do we need to change how do we need to be equipping our leaders particularly which is my responsibility uh, and how do we change our organization to be more fruitful today and for tomorrow you know we're a 50 year old organization and the temptation is to play it safe we have to look after things um, yet we will always default towards caution and maintaining the status quo mm -hmm. and my role is to challenge that assumption and to um, create that environment where we can ask any question and change the way we uh, we do things so would you say you're kind of the resident sociologist culture analyst and coach i think a lot about how can we bring change how can we be uh, more effective and more fruitful in an organization so one of the things um agape is going to be spending more time in is uh, adaptive leadership so what is that yeah well at the round table we looked at immunity to change why when we say we well, let's go over here you know, we want to do this that actually we don't we don't do that and one of the reasons we don't do that is that we have hidden uh, competing values that are working against the change that we want to uh Uh, to make so we looked at this uh, uh, in uh, for a day at the round table with the national directors and then when the rest of their leadership team teams we looked at they looked at it as a team and they looked at some of the challenges that are faced so an adaptive challenge is really hard to get your hands around uh how your head around but ultimately it's to do with changing your beliefs or your values about Uh, something the answer is not very clear it's you know it's quite but it, it involves changing your identity changing in, in some ways some of your dna and i think that's one of the questions at the moment is what what parts of the dna of agape uh, need to stay and which part of the dna of our organization can we lose in order to make space to get new DNA to thrive in the new environment. So my role is to prov be provocative and ask those questions to national directors, to strategy leaders, to the area leadership team. Um, and their role is to engage with that and come up with solutions. So I suppose I have a reputation for asking difficult questions um hmm. in the sense that it causes people to stop and to think and that's that's what i so if i asked you a question and you went silent that would be fantastic because it means you're thinking mm -hmm. so. well at least that's what i want you to think yes exactly yes you've <laughs> done it well you're playing the game really well <laughs> um, now, for all of our listeners who aren't on staff or in a leadership role, why has changed the utmost challenge for an organization like Agape and for its leadership today? Because organizations like the status quo, we like to be 
comfortable. We like to live in our area of comfort, our sphere of control. Uh, of control. So I, I collect questions and one of the questions I discovered a few days ago was when was the last time you risked being incompetent so you could learn something new mm. and um, we all like to look good we don't like not knowing but it's this idea of wow I don't know I'm not sure forces us to uh, to learn so I was I was not a natural you know I'm not a intellectual who loves to to learn I only got into learning maybe in the last 10 years so I regret the fact that in all my earlier years on staff I could have learned so much more I could have been much more useful um, but it was only in uh, doing my master's uh, degree in coaching that suddenly learning became interesting because it helped solve the problem so for me, learning, coaching, yeah, stuff like that has to solve the problems and or the challenges that we face. So I know Javier doesn't like problems. He likes opportunities. So, mm -hmm. so it's true. You, you either call something a problem or it's an opportunity, uh, depending on um, how God has wired you. But they're, they're both the same thing. And with God we can solve problems and rise to opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's probably true not only for organizations with a certain history that need to adapt to change or see change as an opportunity, but also for our individual listeners. Yeah, it's um, in, in my recent reading, one of the things that struck me afresh is change is loss. Um, I'd as a leader I'd all th thought of changes wow this is exciting we're going to something new to a new place where God is leading us it's going to be brilliant come with me <laughs> and I suppose I hadn't really thought through actually going to a new place means you're leaving some of the old behind maybe all <clears> the old behind and people experience loss and I was ignoring that as a leader whereas I've realized now we need to say to people yes you will we will lose this we will do things differently you'll feel insecure for a while you may feel discomfort um, you may be even unhappy uh, because things may not work out exactly as I imagine I can't tell you what it will be like next week I can't tell you how what the city strategy look like how will it change berlin nobody knows that answer yeah. um so we have to say yes there's going to be some loss some changes to the old way we used to do things uh i hear you i i understand that yeah this is this is hard for you and then gently help them move forward mm -hmm. so in the reading i, I I was struck afresh that change is loss. I'd always seen change as fantastic. It's wonderful opportunity, which is true. 
and I just minimized the loss and I realized that was uh, it, it, it's unhelpful it's better for me to have a a more holistic understanding of change so I'm so when now when I'm talking to leaders who want to bring change I help them think about so what will people lose how will they experience that what will mm -hmm. you do to help them know you understand are there any of the any of these losses that you can can minimize just so that as an organization we were led by the great vision come help change the world let's fulfill the great commission in our generation that certainly was true in the 80s when I, when I joined uh, but yeah the world and people have changed in that we need more than just a great inspiring vision if we want mm -hmm. change to change to happen um, yeah, 50 years ago, we weren't an enormous organization of 24,000 people. Uh, now we are, and we are conservative with a small c, and we need to rediscover some of that pioneer spirit which changed the world. Mm -hmm. Now I'd like to get back to that question um, about the DNA, because to somebody who's not in those processes of change or maybe not in leadership somebody who just uh, knows agape from volunteering in a certain ministry that can sound very scary uh, losing agape's identity what do you mean by changing the dna so one of the things you have to do is to work out what is uh, what is your dna what makes agape agape and can you separate what makes agape agape or an organization an organization from how they do it so for for example something i can't imagine changing would be part of our dna is winning building sending but what has changed is how we've done those things but sometimes people assume to win people to christ means you always have to do random surveys with people you don't know that is part of our dna and i would say initiative evangelism talking to people we don't know engaging them that's part of our dna how we do it is completely open um, for discussion and we need to do things that are more effective which uh, connect easier with people when surveys were invented they were fantastic um now yeah now they're now they're less good to say the least yeah I, i see your point and in a way that circles back to what you say about uh, change being a loss because it can be the loss of something that we feel comfortable with or maybe that was instrumental in uh in our story with christ and with evangelism yeah this it's really interesting one of the things about a survey does it gives you something to hold and you have your confidence in oh, i've got some questions to ask so it's easier for you as the individual because you're not walking up to uh, a complete stranger saying hi my name's paul can i talk to you about jesus now the evangelists among us amongst us have no problem just walking up to complete strangers but we've got other things we've got solarium we've 
yeah, we've got the biscuit trail. We've got lots of other tools. So uh, if you have to have a tool, <laughs> try some, experiment with some new tools. Um, and our trust needs to be in the Holy Spirit, not in a tool. Though God, use, though God uses tools. Um, yeah, God is amazingly generous and gracious. And I feel like this phrase you coined there, that change is loss, also it's, it applies to discipleship. Isn't that a fundamental question of discipleship? That um, in order to follow Jesus, we always need to give up things and need to change our thinking and adapt it to the, to the living God we're following and not a static theology And that um, that sometimes might cost us some comfort, something that we're used to, something that we uh, experienced success with in the past. Yes, I think that's, I mean, you, you make a really good point. Things that we saw success with in the past, and that's no guarantee of success in uh, the future. So I was, I was in a, another country um, a few months ago teaching on uh, the life of David and how he would inquire of the Lord before going into battle. And early on in the chapter, he fights the enemy using one strategy, and then a few verses later, he fights the same enemy using a different strategy. He didn't use the same method to, to beat the same enemy. He actually was listening to the Lord, and the Lord told him to do it differently, and he was successful. So, yes, past successes are no guarantee of future successes. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to be uh, learning. So I was talking to Joel uh, Hardman uh, yesterday. So he's the national campus director for uh, Italy. And uh, one of the things he'll be doing uh, this week is what are the, some of the assumptions we make in talking to people about Jesus in Italy? And when is the best time to do this? Uh, mm -hmm. Can you talk to Italian students, for example, during exam season? Um, and lots of, lots of countries believe, yeah, exam seasons, it's just really hard to do uh, ministry. So that's an assumption and uh, behind that. But so one of the things we need to do is test it. Is that really true? Is it no students want to talk to anybody about Jesus during these weeks? Or is it they just don't want to talk to you? Or is it they don't want to, to um, do a survey with you, uh, but they would happily have a coffee and just relax with you? So what are they saying no to? Because if students were going to be unavailable for large chunks of time because they're studying for exams and taking exams then the university ministry teams need to completely change their mm -hmm. um the the year how they plan the year and do something different um in the summer so that's that's kind of where let, you know, let's examine our our assumptions that let's you know what's the story we are telling ourselves Because that's what we use to interpret facts. And we need to make sure that we're telling ourselves the right story, the correct story, not an unexamined story. So would you say that is what 
dealing with change is all about, uh, finding out what assumptions we are operating on and then testing them. Yeah, I think some of the assumptions, so it's like our immune system. Our immune system keeps us alive. So it protects us from diseases. But if I have to have a heart transplant or a kidney transplant or a liver transplant, my immune system will try to kill me. And so mm -hmm. you have to take drugs to uh, reduce your immune system. So something that was there to protect you actually works against the change because you know I need a new lung or new heart in order to live. So it's sometimes our immune system works against us. And so, yeah, we sometimes we've got assumptions, hidden assumptions uh, often that work against us and we need to examine them and say, is this assumption helping us, helping us be fruitful in ministry or not actually do we need to test it? Hmm. And that's all I'm doing. I'm not saying... I'm saying we need to test, we need to have evidence, um, unambiguous evidence that says this is this is true. Mm -hmm. So is this what you ask all these clever questions for in your role as a coach? Some of them, yeah. Um, it's really interesting. People say, what makes a, a powerful question a powerful question? And part of me reacts to the phrase, you know, well, there, is there such a thing as a powerful question? For me, the essence of coaching is I listen well enough and deeply enough and long enough to then ask, you know, what's what's the Holy Spirit want to ask you? You know, what's what's the what's the prompt? So I don't know whether the questions I ask are going to be powerful until the other person's responded. So yeah, I used to I used to think, oh, it's just about getting the killer question. But actually now it's more I need to listen really well uh, to what the person's saying and listening to the Holy Spirit and then saying and then asking them a question in response to what they've said rather than having a list of pulls 20 top questions which are available at, at the end of the podcast if you want. Okay, I'll get back to that. Okay. But let's talk a little more about you and your role, because we've talked about the the big questions and the motivation behind it, but what does that actually look like in your week? I often feel like every Agape staff member's week looks different, and to an outsider, it's not really clear what we do in our week, except for, for that we get to talk with people about Jesus. Yeah. It's true. I, what I like about my weeks are every week is really, really different. So next week I'm in France, uh, in the Vosges Mountains, as part of um, a leadership development initiative. So it's called Shift M2M. And we uh, there will be 12 young leaders from six countries um, and Shift is um, it's a relational learning environment centered around the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry. So when he arrived, he had no disciples. When he left, there were hundreds of disciples. How did he do it? How did Jesus build his movement? Uh, and what can we learn from him and how he how he did that? And then how can we yeah how can we then apply it to our ministries? So 
uh, yeah, till next week, I am with um, some really great people. And at the end of the, the four-day teaching session, we then do three days' worth of pilgrimage uh, along the way the Irish monks came who brought Christianity to Western Europe. Mm-hmm. So that's Matthias Langerhans has made us walk, making us walk, I don't know, 75 kilometers in three days, something outrageous. <laughs> but I can't imagine that every week looks like that for you. No. So then uh, the following week, I have two days in uh, the U- with the uh, UK HQ team thinking about how they can change the culture in the HQ and how they can build how they can build the culture and environment that's more in line with the vision of uh, of Agape in the UK so my role is to help Leslie Cheeseman to reflect on what happens and yeah to be there if I can add something uh, to it uh, and then the following week I'm in Giessen so twice a year our team uh, get together so we will be in the great metropolis of Giessen uh, where we will do our prayer and planning for the next 12 months okay so great things coming to Giessen yeah I, I we will have a great time in Giessen excellent so but from what I'm gathering from what you just told me is that no one week looks like the next for you Apart from when I have two weeks in the holiday, they, they look the same. But no, okay. I, um, yeah, I might be in Portugal with Pedro or uh, in Valencia with Nacho and Maria. Yeah, it's, um, I guess I travel between 70 and 95 days a year. Oh, wow. What is uh, something in that and all of that that you just shared that you're passionate about? And I'm sure there are things that you struggle with too. Yeah, I, it's the people. You know, the, Agape has some amazing people on staff. So, um, and if I was independently wealthy, you know, I think I would still do 80% of my job. There would be some meetings that I probably wouldn't go to. Hopefully none of the meetings that I run. Hopefully I would still go to the meetings that I ran. But I, yeah, I love getting to do what I do with the people who I uh, respect uh, and admire. And I'm able to add my gift uh, to, to sharpen them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's, it, it's the working with, with such amazing people. Uh, who are passionate about Jesus is the best thing. Uh, the worst thing is, yeah, we have some we have some terrible meetings. It has to be said. <laughs> And sometimes waiting at airports for your flight or having flights connected, sorry, having your connecting flights cancelled yeah. is uh, frustrating. Um, you know, I'm old now. I'm 56, and sometimes getting up at four o'clock in the morning to get the ten past six flight is foolish and it's like why am i doing this again because <laughs> um, you don't sleep the night before so but you do suffer for the gospel in this conference that my wife and i spoke at in the summer we we met people 
from a different area of affairs of Agape. So they were from other countries where it's definitely much more difficult to be mm -hmm. a, a staff member and be a Christian. And hearing their stories of uh, my family disowned me or I wasn't allowed to go to my uncle's funeral because I was a Christian and I was told, okay, if you renounce Christ, you can go to the funeral. If not, you're not allowed to be there. Uh, so, yeah, I think getting up at four in the morning is nothing compared to the loss of family in cultures where family is central to who you are and mm -hmm. your, your identity. That is a good reminder. Now, I have two last questions for you. Um, the first one is, do you have one story from the last couple of weeks, maybe, of where you have seen God at move in your role and in your ministry? It's interesting, I suppose, as you get older, it's the little things that make the difference. So temp sometimes it's, a temp it's tempting to say a really, really a big thing. Um, or you know it was an amazing event but actually I'm realizing it's the I asked a question of someone uh, so somebody he is um, going to make some big changes uh, in his uh, in his life so I said to him um, okay let's let, let let's phrase it differently what gift would you like to give Jesus hmm. um rather than thinking how do you want to serve him, but what, what's, the, what's the gift? Um, and so I met him recently, I met, met up with him again, he said, you know, I was really struggling with that question. It's a great question, I loved the question, but I hated the question. And then drive, as I drive, was driving in to, to meet with you, um, the Lord spoke to me about the answer to the question. And the Lord said to him, uh, the gift you can give me is your time. Hmm. Um, so this is a guy whose decisions he's going to make about the future and the changes are based on a question that I've asked, you know, what, what's the gift you want to give him? And it will radically impact what he does and, and how he does things. And as a Christian leader, that will impact lots of other people. So it was, you know, it's not a, it's not a magic question because we don't believe in magic obviously mm -hmm. um, but it's something he engaged with the Lord and he felt that was a really helpful question for him and it was something little and the fruit of that will be will work out in the next months and years so that's that's exciting when God uses something I at the bottom of my road is a cafe called Gorilla mm -hmm. Cafe, uh, where they don't, they don't, yeah, they don't sell gorillas, but I talk to the owner, you know, so I, you know, I go there at least once a week, and whenever I go there, and we, we, we talk and have you know, great conversations about e everything, and um, occasionally he'll say, I remember what you said about this, and I've started doing that, so getting a glimpse of the impact that we have on other people is exciting and for me getting yeah you know, i've been intentional you know i go to this one coffee shop i'm investing my time and my money it may be buying too much coffee but <laughs> i want to see him 
one to Christ. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to be there and spend time and look for opportunities where the Lord is working through my drinking flat whites. <laughs> yeah. And then as my very last question, this is your opportunity to share something with our listeners, something that you feel like they should know that you want to leave them with. Yeah. A question, a quote, a joke. I have two quotes. Okay. The first quote is from T.S. Eliot. He said, only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far one can go. Okay. That's a bit deep. And the one that goes with that is from, the second quote is from Elwood Blues, from the, the Blues Brothers. Mm -hmm. And that's, and his quote was, we're on a mission from God. Amen. Like so to that. me, it's how they come together. So it's, you know, we need to risk going too far. What, what are those crazy, bold steps of faith that people like Ryan Harnish did? What's the equivalent today in Berlin, in mm -hmm. Rome, in Milan, in Paris, in London? Um, let's, let's ask the Lord for, um, to hear his voice clearly enough that we would take bigger steps of faith. Amen. And that is a good question to leave us with. Mm. Well, Paul, I'm very thankful for your time and everything you've shared. Now, you said you had your top 20 of great questions. How can uh, people get these? I will, f I think it may be 12. I have, I, have, I actually did write, uh, I think maybe 12. I will send you mm -hmm. the list that says Paul's famous questions. They are stolen from somebody else. Let me, let me be clear. Okay. There's nothing. Um, and the gift question is not on it, so they, you can you okay. can add that to it. But yeah, I have I will send you a um, word document. Excellent, and I will put them in the show notes for this okay. episode. Brilliant. Well, Paul, thank you very much, and God bless you. Tschüss. Tschüss. That was Paul Duncan. He does leadership development for Agape Europe and is based in Birmingham, England. He mentioned his famous questions for great conversations. You will find these in the show notes in your podcasting app. Or you could just send me an email and I'll get them to you. And talking about emails, if you have ideas for the perfect next guest or questions for this podcast, you can reach me at agape at agapeeurope.org. Other than that, you can also find Agape Europe on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, agapeeurope.org. I'm Jochen Geck, and this is Humans of Agape. See you next time.